Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So do you have any regrets in life? Anything that you look back on and say, boy, I really wish that I had. Or maybe I really wish that I had not. There's lots of reasons why we might have regrets. But I think there's something that, that's a pretty common theme in the area of regrets for us. And that it's often that we are faced with a situation, and maybe we aren't sure what to do, or we think we know what to do, or whatever, but all of a sudden we find ourselves afraid. Sometimes it's huge, the fear, and it just like runs over us, and other times it's just nagging, but we're afraid, and so we, we don't do something that we probably should have done. Or maybe we do something in response to fear that we shouldn't have done. And, and Christians do deal with fear. And there's so many areas of life we could take this issue and talk about. But I want to talk to you about one today that is really, it's, it's essential if we're going to be a church like the church was in the book of Acts. A church that's in motion, it's on mission with Jesus, making his name known and, and bringing people into a relationship with him and in growing them to be like him. So they too can then join us in this mission. How many of you have ever found yourself in a situation where, as a Christian, you thought or realized that maybe, wow, maybe I should say something here. Maybe I should try to be a witness here. But because you found yourself with fear, you didn't. Right, like probably all of us. There are some rare people who aren't like that. But most of us are there. And even if we are being a faithful witness, it doesn't mean that we don't find ourselves feeling afraid from time to time and, and, you know, struggling with that and working on that. Well, it's easy for us to think that the people in the Bible didn't have those struggles. But we're going to see today that they did, and we're going to see how God addresses this issue So let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts. Continue in Acts here. Acts chapter 18. It's on page 1277 in the Bible that's there in the pew. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, we encourage you to look there. uh, Open that up and turn to page 1277. I'll be talking a little bit about, about what led up to this. Uh, some things that led up to this situation. Uh, But it says, chapter 18, verse 1, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Now, Corinth, city in in Greece, where it was uh, positioned on Greece, it was an area where they would often use to, to carry things across the land. It was a very narrow section of Greece. And so rather than going all the way down uh, below Greece and back up by sea, there were some really dangerous passages there. They would actually, sometimes small boats, they would actually drag across the land. It was a few miles. And other times, the bigger boats, they would just unload them and carry all the stuff and then load them in another boat on the other side. 
But as you can imagine, this made them sort of at the center of a lot of what was going on in the world. And it was um, a second only to Rome, really, as far as its size and its influence. And it really wasn't a very nice place. It wasn't a very nice place. A lot of idolatry, a lot of idolatry that involved immorality and a not valuing of human life. Uh, in fact, it became a term in the ancient world for someone who lived an immoral life, uh, an indecent life, a uh, liar, cheat, stealer, all, any of those kinds of things, they, they, be call, they, they call that Corinthianizing. I gotta be honest with you, sometimes I think that we live in a modern day Corinth. So I think it's really relevant to us here today. But so Paul comes to this city, to Corinth. It's not necessarily where you would expect to find a lot of people ready to to become followers of Christ. Uh, Verse two, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, we find through the scriptures, and we learn more about them as they go, very faithful. They had become believers in Christ, in Rome, apparently. Uh, They were very faithful in serving Christ. They encouraged uh, believers, and and they're going to help Paul here. But it says this. It says, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. That's the emperor, Claudius, had sent them out. And this was over this turmoil that was happening with the Jews, this big upheaval about uh, some man that the the Romans said they weren't sure, but some man named Crestus. (laughs) So see, the gospel had come to Rome and, and as it often did, it, you know, it came to the Jews because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and so they would start there. And, and, but it was creating such uproar and, and apparently some rioting and problems that Claudius says, that's it, Jews out, and sent them out. And so that, that's how Paul runs into them in Corinth. And it says, and he came to them, verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. So Paul needed money. He needed a job. He needed a way to live. And so he goes to work with Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And we aren't sure exactly what he was reasoning. I think it'd be safe to say that he's reasoning to them about the prophets, uh, what they had said about the coming Messiah helping them understand that the coming Messiah would have to suffer for sins and and die. So he's reasoning with them. Then verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Silas and Timothy were companions of Paul, and they had gone somewhere else when Paul had come here. Now they're rejoining him. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ, okay? Christ being the Greek term for the Jewish term, the Hebrew term, Messiah. So that's what he's saying. Jesus is the Messiah. So my, my guess is that he had been reasoning with them about the Messiah, all the scriptures. And then finally, when Timothy and Silas come, his companions, all of a sudden he's emboldened. By the way, there's a lesson for us to learn, isn't it? When it comes to sharing our faith, 
it's, it's really much easier if we're connecting with other believers as we do so, right? Because it encourages us, it emboldens us. Uh, but so he comes and he's emboldened. And so all these prophecies, all these things he's been reasoning about, and he said, no, you need to understand, this man, Jesus, was the son of God. He is the Christ. He's the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. Verse six, but when they opposed him, so they said, no, 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 uh-uh, no way. There is, this man is not the Messiah. He's not the promised one. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, so they, they weren't treating Jesus as who he said he was. They weren't giving him the honor due to him. When they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads, for I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And, and shaking his garments, we don't get this, but in the Jewish uh, tradition and cultures, if you were done with something, you would shake your garments and shake the dust off your feet. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm gone. And he says, I'm going to now go to the Gentiles, which is really an affront to these Jewish people. We talked about that last week. Okay. Very difficult for them. But let's read what happens. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, so most likely a Gentile man who had been uh, learning about Judaism and believing in the true God, and, and now under Paul's preaching, he's come to Christ. He departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was, get this, next door to the synagogue. Now, how do you think that went over? I mean, could you imagine if, if you went somewhere at this point in time, or you know, one of us went there somewhere, and we, we went into a church that uh, we knew had some basic understandings of the gospel, uh, but really weren't getting the gospel right. You know, they had works and traditions and things you had to do, and, and you know, we're going to pray you into heaven, all those kinds of things. So you got into a church like that, and you're, you're reasoning with them, and then finally one day you say, no, here's the gospel. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what he does. Here's what you have to do to get saved. And they say, hey, no way, and they oppose it and out. And so, uh, but some people are believing, as we're going to see. And so you say, I'm, I'm done. You leave, and then you rent the building next door and put up your sign. You're not going to be a popular person, are you? Okay? Well, that's exactly what happened here. Now get this, verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And so <laughs> now the ruler of the synagogue, the head guy, he becomes a Christian. He becomes a believer and goes next door. This is, this is a, a problem brewing, okay? Uh, but Paul is having some great success here, wouldn't you say? And that'd be like if, like, once again, if we had in here today, if we could uh, recognize and acknowledge that, hey, we have this, this person here now with us who was the pastor of this church over here that doesn't preach the gospel, he's come to Christ and saved. We have this, this priest and he's here and he's, you know what I mean? That's, that's very impactful. So everything's going well. You think? Well, here's the thing. I would say to you that at this point, Paul has reason to fear. 
from a human perspective, Paul has reason to fear. Let me tell you why. It's because everything is going great. <laughs> so wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. No, he has reason to fear because everything's going great and he has been here before. Not in Corinth, but he's been in this situation before. So let me just share with you some of these things, okay? Uh, I mean, you'd think Paul would be rejoicing, but I just can't help but think that all of a sudden these things are coming to his mind. Remember we talked about finding ourselves afraid? Paul's very first Christian ministry in Damascus after he got saved, he's powerfully convincing the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. And so the Jews began to plot to kill him. His very first ministry, they're going to kill him. And so they have to lower him by night outside, out to the city, out through a window in a basket so he can escape. He goes to Jerusalem and he begins doing the same thing there. And he's proclaiming Christ boldly. He's challenging the Greek-speaking Jews about Jesus. And they plotted to kill him. And the Christians had to, you know, get him out of the city. And they finally sent him back home to Tarsus, some 350 miles away. You need to go, Paul. And I've got to tell you, over the years... Um, I've had some people that were unhappy with me, but I've never, as far as I know, I've never had anybody plotting to kill me. Right? I mean, this is serious stuff, isn't it? But notice both of those times when, when, when Paul was doing this, he's having great success. He's reaching many people. He's making a difference. And then his life is at risk because of it. And so eventually Barnabas goes to Antioch, and, and uh, Jeff preached on this just recently. Barnabas goes to Antioch, uh, goes to find Paul, and brings Paul to uh, Antioch, where Paul gets involved in teaching the people. He says they're teaching many people, many people coming to faith. And, and it says, kind of just a side note, it says the, Christ, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, we hear Christian today, and if I say the word Christian to you, overall, what's your general impression, good or bad? Good, right? But when the word Christian first shows up, it is not a positive word. It is a derogatory term. Christians, those Christ followers. That was a derogatory term. In fact, when you get Peter talks about it, he talks about suffering. He says, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer because you've done what's wrong. He says, but if you suffer as a... Christian. <laughs> See, it was a derogatory term. So it shows that even here, when Paul is having this great uh, ministry, that there is a rising opposition against him. Okay? Now, the church there in Antioch sends uh, Paul and Barnabas out on what we call their, uh, Paul's first missionary journey. And on the first trip, they came to a city named Iconium. And guess what? They were having a huge impact with their preaching and teaching, people getting saved, people looking into these things. And so, but the unbelieving Jews, and, and let me just say something, because um, I know sometimes people aren't, well, let me just clarify. When we're talking about the Jews, there is nothing negative about being a Jew. Okay, we are not anti-Jewish people at all. Jesus was Jewish. We were pro-Jews in that sense, okay? But the unbelieving Jews act like unbelievers, Believing Jews act like believers. You see what I'm saying? The issue is not here. But they were the unbelieving Jews who were opposed to Christianity. So that's who we're talking about here. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and they made a violent attempt to beat them and to try to stone them. But somehow they escaped and they moved on down the road. And then in Lystra, the power of God was evident. 
Uh, people were coming to Christ and there was almost this misunderstanding about worshiping Paul and Barnabas and, and they stopped that and told them the truth. But it isn't very long. Guess who shows up? The unbelieving Jews who are opposing him, they show up, they stir the Gentiles up to the point where they did stone Paul. And they assumed he was dead and they dragged him out of the city and left him there. God raised him up. I believe he may have been dead. I think there's reason to think that. But either way, God raises him back up and he goes into the city and then he eventually heads on down the road. So that's his first missionary journey. Every place Paul has success, he has what? Opposition. Deadly opposition. Okay? Now, the second missionary journey, when they decide to go back out again in Philippi, he was, pre, he was reaching people with the gospel. And then there was this issue that arose with a, a young girl, a servant girl who worked for somebody who was making money for that person. She was demon-possessed. And they were using that demon possession and the things that went on with that to make money for this guy. Well, Paul cast the demon out of this young woman. And the guy who was making lots of money off her is really upset. And he goes and gets other people and, and he, he drags Paul before a judge and they find them guilty and then they beat them with rods. A caning. Have you ever heard of caning? There's modern day caning in the last decade that just made the news everywhere. Over in Indonesia somewhere, I think. It's terrible. Well, God miraculously delivers them from the jail, but they still had the wounds. And they still had to be treated. Then he moves on to Thessalonica. And in just a matter of a few weeks, they were seeing a good number of converts. And some of these converts were high-ranking members of society. Well-known people. And the unbelieving Jews stirred up a mob and went looking for Paul. And they found one of his companions as they almost beat him up. And so the Christians sent Paul and Barnabas away. You got to go. And they came to a town named Berea and had some very encouraging responses there. But the unbelieving Jews followed them there to stir up trouble. And Paul and Silas, again, they had to send him away because they know what's going to happen. So, Paul is having great success in Corinth. <laughs> We already talked about what was happening. I mean, it was this kind of had stuff that would really stir up the, the opposition. I think Paul became fearful. I think Paul began to maybe hedge what he was saying or was considering doing so. Maybe he was thinking about going ahead and moving on down the road anyway before it got to where it inevitably got to. We don't know for sure. But tell you what let's do. Let's read on down a couple more verses. First, or Acts chapter 18, starting in verse number 9. In the middle of all this success, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid. Now, this isn't the normal way that God communicated with Paul. We see a few times where God did this, but this isn't the normal way. Normal way would have been through the scriptures that he knew and the Holy Spirit ministering to him. It's just like God works with us. But God makes it a point to show up in a vision and tell him, don't be afraid. Why is God doing that? Why do you think? Yeah, I think because Paul was feeling afraid. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent 
For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. So God's saying, don't be afraid. Now, it's interesting here that I see that in the first uh, verse 9 there, there are three things. In verse 10, there are three things. And I think they kind of go together, okay? So let's, if we can just rearrange those verses. Go ahead and do that next slide there, John. We see God saying to Paul, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do you understand that as a Christian, wherever you go, God goes? There's nowhere that you go as a believer in Jesus Christ that the Lord Jesus Christ does not go with you. Now, maybe that means there's some place that we ought not go. But that's not the point here. The point is, is we go out into the world to, to be salt and light and go out into the world to carry the gospel and to be ready to witness. We are not there alone. God is with us. And so Paul he encourages Paul, don't be afraid, I am with you. And then he says, speak, because no one's going to attack you to hurt you. Now, this is kind of specific to this situation, because had Paul been attacked and hurt? <laughs> yeah, he had. But God's telling him here, it's not going to happen here. And then he says, do not keep silent, for I have many people in this city. And I really want that truth to be driven home to you and me today. There are people out here in our community, there are people in your neighborhood, there are people where you work, there are people maybe in your extended family, there are people all around us that God is at work in their lives, drawing them to himself. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. And so we know that God's at work. And we know because we are there as, as Christians that God is at work. And so God has people out there that he is working in their lives through circumstances, through their own thinking, their backgrounds, the things that have happened. All of these things that he is working on in their lives, preparing them to be responsive to the gospel. Can you think about your own life? Were there things in your life that brought you a point where all of a sudden you were open to the gospel, where maybe you weren't before? And so God says, I have people out there. And Paul, if you keep silent, how will they hear? How will they know? Don't keep silent. I have people out there. They need to hear. And by the way, they do need to hear. Because elsewhere, Paul wrote, how will they hear without someone telling them? Someone has to tell them. And it's someone's you and me. And so these words apply to us. Now, when it comes to fear, most of us don't sit down and evaluate. Now, hmm, is this a situation I should be afraid in? Let's see. Yes, I think I will choose to be fearful here. Right? We don't do that. Uh, but what happens is, is fear just happens to us. You know, whether it's in the very moment when we're thinking, wow, this is an opportunity to say and we find ourselves fearful or whether it's making choices earlier in the day or in the week or whatever and how we're going to proceed and who we're going to talk to, all those kinds of things, fear just kind of happens to us. We're not looking for it. And, and that's okay. That's normal. The greatest missionary witness ever lived found himself 
afraid. But here's the thing. We don't have to stay afraid. When we find ourselves afraid, it's normal. Don't beat yourself up over it. But then we need to say, wait a minute, I don't have to stay afraid. And that's true for several reasons. First one is because God's in charge. Right? I mean, we see in this passage God saying, you don't need to be afraid. Look, I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to take care of you. Don't be afraid. God is in charge. And so whatever circumstances you find yourself in, if God is in charge, uh, well, let's look at the next uh, um, slide there, the verse. We know this verse, right? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That means that nothing can come, as a believer in Jesus Christ, nothing can come into your life unless the Lord has allowed it. And if he has allowed it, it can accomplish his good purposes in your life. All right? So why do we need to be afraid when you think about that? Can anything come into your life that's going to uh, ruin your ability to, to follow Christ? Well, nothing. God has allowed it. He will use it and can use it. God is in charge. We don't have to be afraid of what might happen. I mean, is it possible you could be witnessing and someone at work doesn't like it, even though you were doing it on your own time and all that, you could end up having problems and get demoted or lose your job? Is that possible? Sure, it's possible. If God allows it, he's going to work it for good. See, we don't have to be afraid. God's in charge. He knows. And the second reason that we don't have to, to stay afraid is because love can overcome fear. Love can overcome fear. Love overcomes fear. Um, the Bible says that when we get saved, that God puts his love into our hearts. Romans chapter 5. He has shed his love abroad into our hearts. And... and Love has a way of driving out fear. And think about it this way. As the scripture says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. But here's, here's what I'm thinking. When, I'll just give you an example. I did some reading online and I, I couldn't find any stories that were easy to tell and to explain, so I decided not to. But I tell you, I read repeated stories about parents who did amazing things to save their children. Why do they do that? Afraid they were going to lose their deduction? No. Because they love their kids. I mean, I, I am not a spider fan. Most of you know that, right? I mean, I'm pretty cool with spiders. I've grown up. I've matured a lot. As long as I can see them and I know where they are, it's not too bad, you know. Just got to keep an eye on them. But if all of a sudden that spider isn't where it's supposed to be and I feel something crawling on me, I do this crazy dance. I'm not going to demonstrate. Running, jumping, twisting, pulling, undressing as needed, whatever. Okay? Uh, I do not like hairy spiders. I do not like tarantulas. I just don't like, I'm Carol, I don't like tarantulas. There's big, ugly spiders. Okay, anybody with me? Okay, all right, so, 
but I mean, I could go on a missions trip. There could be tarantulas. I know you deal with it. You, you live with it. But I'm just telling you, if all of a sudden there was a, a, a field full of tarantulas and one of my kids, one of my grandkids, my wife, is out there and in trouble and needs me. I'm going. I'm going to run through those stupid things, kicking the snot out of them. I, I don't know. And I may, but you understand what I'm saying? I have a fear. I normally, no way I'm walking across that field. Not going to do it. You can't pay me enough money. Well, maybe you could. But <laughs> you can't. I'm not going to do it. But see, what does love do? Love overcomes that fear. And, and so it is that one of the things when we're thinking about witnessing to people is when we are focused on ourselves and loving ourselves and caring about ourselves, that fear is going to come and stay because we're worried about how this is going to affect us. But when we start to shift our love from us to others, and we start to see where is this person really at? This person doesn't know the Lord this person is destined to a life without purpose here right now, and this person is destined to die and go to hell. And I care about this person. And, and so we grow in our love for this person. All of a sudden, our focus shifts, and then we don't have to stay afraid because yeah, I'm going to run through the field of tarantulas to do this. And then we need to remember this. We don't have to stay afraid because God is preparing people for us to reach. You know, lots of times our concern is, oh, they aren't going to be interested or they aren't going to say, you know, they're going to resist or whatever. And sometimes they might. But what I want to tell you is if you and I will become faithful witnesses, we will find people whom God has prepared. We will find them. Instead of talking to someone and they're resisting, I'll go, oh, well, whatever. Okay, I'm done with this. I'm not going to do this anymore. Say, wait a minute, okay, well, this person isn't ready yet. Where is this person that God has prepared? And move on down the road. Because God has prepared people for us to reach. And that's why he told Paul, don't keep silent. I have a lot of people in this city. There's something that's really crucial about this. You know, the Bible teaches us to pray, right? Are we supposed to be a praying people? We are. We've talked about that, and, and we always have to keep working on that because it's easy to let that slide. We've got to keep working on it, being a praying people. But it's interesting that when we talk about overcoming our fear to speak and to be witnesses for the Lord, the Bible actually makes a focus, a very specific connection between that and prayer. The Apostle Paul talks about this. When he was talking about uh, the, the armor uh, this is, go ahead and go to the next slide, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. He comes down to the end of this and he tells them this, praying for me. You guys pray for me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That I may speak, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Who is this again? Who is this? The Apostle Paul. I mean, I don't know about you, I just don't think about him having a problem being bold and speaking. But he says, I need you to pray for me that I will be bold, that I will speak the way I ought to speak. And so he links prayer up with this. And then we see this in Acts chapter 4 when there had been some persecution against the church. When, how did they respond? It says that they raised their voice to God with one accord. And they prayed, grant your servants that with all boldness 
they may speak, talking about all of them together, that they may speak your word. And when they had prayed, they spoke the word of God with boldness. You see how God links us up? We need to, we need to be bold when we go from here. And bold doesn't mean obnoxious. Bold means that, okay, I'm going to say it when I need to say it. I'm going to speak when I need to speak. But we need to be praying for each other in this, praying together in this. And we have reason to believe that God is going to do something special because of it. So, in review here, we don't need to stay afraid because God is in charge. Nothing can touch us but what he allows it. And love, if we can learn to love, it will help us to overcome fear. And then remember, God has people prepared for us. We need to get out there and find them. Be open and ready. Pray for each other about being bold, not to keep silent because those people are out there. Let me encourage you that... that especially those last two, this idea of love, overcoming fear, and, God, and, and praying for one another, that you try to take advantage of opportunities that our church has for those very things. You know, one of the ways that we learn about God's love for us and how to love others and, and grow in our sense of love is by loving each other as a church. And so you need to take advantage of opportunities that are there for that. You know, when we have times when we get together and we, we focus on spiritual things, coming up in October, we have life groups. They're going to be a great opportunity. You don't have to do that, but it's a great opportunity. On Wednesday nights, beginning in October, uh, the, from 7.15 to 8 o'clock, we are going to have just a focused time of prayer on outreach. These very kinds of things that we're talking about here today. Take advantage of it. So again, you don't have to, but it's a great opportunity. We don't have to stay afraid. And when we overcome that, we can speak. Go ahead and go to that next slide. We speak. And we don't keep silent. That's where we need to be. And the reason we need to be that, not only to honor God, which is always at the forefront, but we need to do this because God has people for us to reach. He has people for us to reach. So let's stop being afraid. Let's take advantage of what God has given us to overcome that fear and reach the people that he's preparing for us to reach. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you, Father, that somebody, someplace, sometime overcame their fear and witnessed to somebody that led to our salvation. Oh God, stir our hearts, fill us with the, uh, these truths that you're in charge and that your love will overcome that fear and that you're preparing. Fill us with these truths, Father, so that we can respond like Paul and go ahead and speak and not be silent and see those people that you're preparing come to salvation. I pray right now, Father, you'd put in our heart and minds maybe some people around us like that some situations where we do need to be bold to speak the way we ought to. 
I pray that we will rely on you and that we will pray and that we will pray for each other and that we will spend some time together on purpose praying for each other about these things. Lord, grant us boldness. Stir our hearts uh, stir our, uh, until we can't do anything else, Lord. But go out and be faithful witnesses for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.